0: Good morning. Good to see everybody. It's funny how you turn the microphone on and hear people just run. I'm not sure what that's all about, but uh, we're going to get into the Word of the Lord. Good to see everybody this morning. What a great day to be a part of the kingdom of God. If you don't think so, try doing a day without the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. It is good to be in God's presence. Amen. Amen, amen. I'm going to continue um, the lesson that I started last week. I made myself a promise. I didn't make you a promise. I made me a promise that I was not going to hurry through this. I'm talking about the Beatitudes, and we finished two of them last week, amen, and, uh, and I've got uh, there are eight of them that we're going to look at, and, uh, and I'll get through one more today or two more or six more. We'll see what it works out. How's that? All right? Stand with me. Let's read from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Jesus' first sermon ever. Imagine how nervous he was. Amen. It's his first recorded sermon. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. See, I would have ran away too. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Thank you for standing in respect to the Word of God. You can be seated. I told you last week that each beatitude contains a challenge, but it also contains a possibility. And so I've started this series of lessons, and uh, I, I promise you I'm not going to be in a hurry. I want to spend some time to help us with this. Um, But this challenge and an opportunity, an ultimate test of one attitude that is coupled with a tremendous promise from God. Each one of those are coupled with that, and I haven't spent any time at all on the promises. I'm just looking at the challenges. And so uh, I'll go back and we'll, we'll we'll teach some on the promises. But so often I feel that when we talk about the Beatitudes, we look more at the promise than we do the challenge. And I need to make sure that we have a great understanding that the promise doesn't come unless we meet the challenge. Does that make sense? Yes, I know that's pretty deep on a Sunday morning, and you know it's not that cold in here yet, and maybe some of you only had half your usual amount of coffee, but it's really difficult to understand that there are great promises tied to the Word of God, but there are also challenges in the Word of God, and some of those are challenged. Pastor was talking about that this morning. I talked about it last week. I don't see persecution as part of my construct, right? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. They're going to be reviled and they're going to be, you know, all this bad stuff is going to be done in my name. And and I, I began to look at this from this high level view and said, wait a minute, God, I don't think my attitude is right. No, no, I'm pretty sure, Lord, I am not, I don't like to be persecuted. I take that as a personal affront am i alone in that that's that's a natural human reaction and so what pastor was talking about this morning but i i told you last week that all of these challenges jesus said there's a blessing in them but that word blessing in the greek it meant happy or blessed but it also expresses the idea of completion Paul wrote this to Timothy, talking about the Scripture. Well, it was inspired of God. It's profitable. We know this for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness— But the purpose of the scripture is that you and I, the men of God, can be thoroughly furnished or perfect or complete. And so there's an idea that even though we are saved, even though we have repented, been baptized, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, there's something about us that's not complete. We understand that, right? We're growing in the grace of God. And so this idea of becoming complete or mature, begins with having or possessing a right attitude, right? How many ever had a difficulty maintaining a good attitude, right? You know, you you woke up, you got your feet off on the right side of the bed, you had your coffee, and uh, you know me, uh, I I, I like some me time in the morning. I don't want to be talked to. (laughs) Give me a few minutes, right? Don't, I know I'm not the only one. I, I don't want to be attitudinal, but give me a few minutes, right? But, I mean, you know, you get up and everything is going good and, and you've got a great attitude and, and you're excited about the day in life. And then, you know, that, 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 little, that little irritation, right? Somebody somewhere steps on your pet peeve and bam! That is how the fight started. You know, I, I mean, it, Right? And so having a right right attitude is not hard, but I I think it's it's difficult to maintain a a right attitude in every circumstance, situation. And, and, you know, Pastor alluded to this this morning. We've talked about this some. In the world that we live in, it's almost an impossibility to have a right attitude because there's very little that I agree with going on in my world. But in spite of what's going on around me, I can possess... A right attitude, right? But my attitude, right? My attitude has to be right in regard to God, in regard to myself, in regard to others. Amen. I don't find it so hard to have a right attitude about God most of the time. I, I don't have—I don't find it hard to have a right attitude about me. I'm pretty good with me, but them others. I know it's not just me. I I know it, but you know, but if the ultimate thing with attitude is it's a sign of maturity. And yet, I'm gonna tell you, as someone who feels like that they are maybe not there yet, but somewhat mature, maintaining that right attitude is one of the most difficult things you will ever do. And so we considered the beatitudes from the viewpoint of a question. What are the challenges? What are the, the life qualities or the character traits that every, king, every citizen of the kingdom possess? And so we discussed how the, the Beatitudes represent, they represent what we should have as a, as a construct of life. These, these eight attitudes are interrelated qualities. And no one attitude, no single character trait can stand alone. And so I told you this last week, and, and I'm going to prove it more today, that they are progressive. Each one builds upon another. We talked about uh, how Peter wrote about the church and having the life of God and how that we should add to our, add to our faith, the, the virtue and the godliness and all those kind of things. This is a similar type of scripture where Jesus starts with the main thing and begins to build one attitude upon another. Now, how many of you have found that a one bad attitude leads Leads to another. Come on. Come on. Uh, there's a lot of t-shirts in the house, right? And, and so somebody said, you know, that it's possible to be poor in spirit but not have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, you know, it may be, maybe it's possible to, to be mournful but not to be pure in heart. Or, or maybe it's possible to be meek without being a, pe- a peacemaker. I'm not sure about all that. Uh, but I, I do know this. I, I do know th- that it's possible to be persecuted but not for righteousness sake. And so wh- what I've got to look at is my attitude. What you've got to look at is your attitude. I, 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 can, you know, or I, I can feel your attitude sometimes before you get here. You can feel my attitude sometimes before I get there, right? And so just as a quick recap, last Sunday we talked about the first challenge was to be poor in spirit. This is not simply having a poor spirit or having a bad attitude, but someone who is poor in spirit has a distinct awareness of their own sin. Now listen, I'm going to tell you around the church, it's easy to be the sin announcer, the person who points out all the little sins in in other people's lives. And so it's easier to be aware of someone else's faults and failures and sins than it is my own. Hello? Right? And so uh, if you're the one who has to find fault with everybody and point out everybody's sin, that's not being poor in spirit, that's having a poor spirit. Okay that that's a distinction that I want to make and so those those that are poor in spirit are de- are defined by those three things they have a humble opinion of themselves what do you mean by that brother Roberts I mean they don't believe their own press hello right let you know don't don't believe everything everybody says about you believe what god says about you right let the anointing speak for itself they number 2 they understand that they're sinners but they're saved solely by the grace and the mercy of God, right? That's that they have an understanding of that. And the third one is they have absolutely no righteousness of their own. Those are things, those are quality traits that define the poor in spirit. Those that are convinced, that are convicted of their own spiritual poverty. How we view ourselves ultimately determines our attitude and how we portray ourselves to the world. Our humanity says it's how we view others that determines our attitude, but that's not true, right? It's how we view ourselves that we're going we're to propagate to the world. But according to Jesus Christ, we are spiritual beggars in every sense of the word. We are the poorest of the poor, the most helpless of all people. Paul wrote to Timothy and said this is, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he said this is a trust, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept that. What is he saying? He's saying everybody should make this their saying, right? Paul said this, Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save, save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Paul said said in the King James Version, I'm chief. If, If Paul was chief, I'm the admiral. Right? And get that understanding. But the New Living Translation says it this way. He said, everyone should accept this. Everyone should make this known to themselves that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them all. But it's difficult for our humanity to feel like we're the worst of them all. Because we judge on that curve, well, I'm not as bad as them and I'm not as bad as them and I'm not as bad as, right? But he said, if you're going to be poor in spirit, then you've got to come to the understanding that I am worst of all, right? And and he said this, he said in verse 16 that God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as an example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners, I, I like the way that he said that. You, We've got to get, grasp this understanding. You cannot work, you cannot earn, you cannot purchase anything in the spiritual realm. You do not deserve anything from God. And I feel like I'm stuck there in my spirit because we live in such an entitled world that we cannot, we cannot un- disbelieve that that spirit of entitlement comes in the church. Well, I've been here and I've done, and I'm, It's all about me, right? It's all about I, I, I. And so we've got to understand that the poor in spirit see no goodness in themselves. They despair in themselves and they see who they truly are. They have one avenue. They run to and cling to the mercy of God as their only hope. The second challenge that we looked at was to be mournful or to be mourners, this, this second beatitude declares God's blessing on the lives of those that mourn. Now, this is an extremely paradoxical statement. It, it, it's, co- it's contradictory in every sense of the word because given the choice, we would rather not mourn at all, ever. But essentially, Jesus is saying this, happy are the sad. Jesus was preaching that today I'm not sure I would clap. Happy are the sad what are you what are you talking about right? For most of this, this is complete opposition to our logic, but generally speaking, happiness for us is the avoidance of things that bring grief and pain. I can't get enough things in the air you, that's how we live, right? But according to the Word of God, this, the attitude that's going to propel me into the presence of God, that's going to get me into heaven, is that I've got to mourn in one specific sense. I've got to mourn over my spiritual poverty. I've got to be a mourner over my sin and my sinful nature. Remember, we talked about David after the sin of Bathsheba, with Bathsheba in Psalms 51. He said, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is before me. The New Living Translation says he, he recognized his own rebellion, and it haunted him day and night. These, are, these are, are great principles that we need to understand, that I am rebellious in nature, but I go to living hope. Good for you. I pay tithes. Good for you. I, I worship and sing and dance and, and clap when the preach. Good for you. It doesn't mean you don't have a rebellious nature. Doesn't. Got nothing to do with it. You were born, right? David said, I was born in sin and shapen in iniquity. That that, that applies to every one of us. And so we have got to at some point be able to to look at our spiritual condition and understand that we are poverty stricken. Except for the blood of Jesus Christ, I have no value to the kingdom of God. That's the truth. And it's so easy because, and I told you last week, there's a balance here. We've got to make sure that balance, there's, there's got to be a balance where we have confidence in God and no confidence in the flesh. I could spend the rest of this, of this lesson talking about the confidence in God and the confidence in the flesh. We could talk about it at great length, but there's an undeniable relationship between these, between these qualities, these challenges, to be poor in spirit, to not have a bad attitude, but to have a right attitude about who I am in Jesus Christ. And to be mournful, not to be weeping and crying over my sin, but understanding that that my sinful nature is directing my life, having an awareness of that in my life. That brings us to the third one, where Jesus says this Blessed are the meek, right? How many of you feel that there's a blessing in meekness? It's a challenge to be meek. This third challenge given by Jesus for the citizens of the kingdom is that they are meek. And so Jesus teaching in in this verse, again, is in exact opposition to the heart of every man or woman that has ever been born into this world. Brother Robert, you got something positive to say? I'm saying it right now. The idea of meekness goes against the natural flow of your humanity, right? You have a toy that I want, I take the toy, end of story. That's life. Well, you know, we smile at the kids, All oh, they're just being kids. That's the natural bent of your humanity. It is not a world philosophy in 2021 to be meek. It was not the world's philosophy in A.D. 30 to be meek. It's just not. Pastor Jesus, in his first great sermon, immediately turns everything upside down. Now, Jesus was not your typical preacher. He wasn't interested in whether or not you liked him. He didn't care if you liked his message. But, right? His message was the kingdom of God, the blessed man, right? His, his message was different, right? His, the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, the blessed man, the famous person, and the rich people are not the first, they're the last. What do you mean? The, la- the, the last shall be first, the least will be greater. Whoever wants to be great among you, let him be the servant of everybody else. W- what are you talking about, Jesus? This 2,000-year-old this principle straight from the mouth of Jesus, it's better to give than to receive. It still is not popular 2,000 years later, and it still has not found its way into the house of God. I'm okay with giving as long as I... Right, we put the caveat on it. I'm okay with doing this. I'm okay, but I, I, I'm protecting me. But this idea of meekness, right, was a radical idea. You know, Jesus said dying is more important than living. I didn't feel that way this morning when I got up and took my medicine. I'm being transparent with you, but I'm trying to show you that my attitude is shaped by my humanity. But if I'm going to be what Jesus Christ wants me to be and have that right attitude, I've got to change some things. He said, losing is better than finding. No, my humanity says, no, it's not. I can't find it. I'm looking for it. How many of you lost something? You're just... The conversation in my, in, my, in my home is, have you seen? No, I haven't seen. It's yours. If you lost it, you go find it. Just like that, my good attitude goes to bad. But he said the least in the kingdom is going to be greater or better than the greatest down here on earth. And so his message of being poor was more important than being rich. Is counterintuitive to my Humanity. And so Jesus preached that, that you and I need to be weak when I really just want to be strong. He preached this radical idea of serving rather than ruling. And those things, right? So this third attitude, or this third quality that brings blessing and completion and wholeness and, and maturity is the idea of meekness. Now, meekness is gentleness and humility, and, and they're, 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 pretty, they're pretty natural to most people, but here's the bottom line. Here's, here's how you really know if you're meek or not. The meek would rather suffer injury than inflict it. Now, I find that hard because there are some people that I would willingly, be, be honest with yourself. We're not just talking about me. We're talking about there are some situations and some people that I would suffer injury for. In a heartbeat. And there are others that I wouldn't mind inflicting it. (laughs) Brother Roberts, no, no, no. Be honest with yourself. That guy cuts you off in traffic, you ain't wanting to suffer injury for him. That person talks about you, dude, come on. You're not, I'm not suffering injury, right? And so the meek live life out of weakness, right? Not out of weakness, but they live life out of humility. And and so there's a tie-in here, this recognizing that I am spiritually in poverty. I've, I've got that poor spirit and understanding that I am a sinner saved by grace. It is a key to becoming meek. See, here's my point. If you don't get the first two, you're never going to get the third one. If you are not solid on the fact that, uh, that you, you deserve nothing from Jesus Christ, you can never be meek. If you don't have a place where you can be mournful over your, what are you talking about mournful? You've got to have, it's got to grasp you that you are a sinner saved by grace. Come on, I want to walk into the house of God with my chest poked out, feeling like I'm somebody, I'm doing my thing. But the truth is, I'm nobody. I am only who I am by the blood of Jesus Christ and the mercy of a mighty God. But the devil and the flesh want to puff you up. You're never going to become meek until you realize that you're human flesh. It just, it just won't happen. And so these first three beatitudes are the root and the foundation for moving forward in the kingdom of God. Unless, you know, it's impossible to have a meek spirit without being poor in spirit. It, it, the, the meek are infinitely aware of their own sin. The, the meek are, are, are mournful over their nature. And it, it, it's just that caveat that brings meekness. I'll me give you an example of, of, of meekness. Moses According to the Bible, we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 12 with me. Now Moses, according to the Bible, we're going to read this here in a minute, was, in my mind, was not a weak man. I mean, I, just from a a high level view, everything that I've read about Moses leads me to believe that he was not a timid man, okay? And I I know... I wasn't there, it's thousands of years ago, and I've got a a limited knowledge, but in my understanding, meek men don't walk into the throne rooms of Pharaohs, the most powerful men on earth, and make demands and issue threats. Now, be honest, that's what it was. Let my people go or else, okay? That, that, that to me, just from my mindset, is not meekness. But notice this in, in, in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, after, after the deliverance of the children of Israel, they're, on, they're, they're out in the desert. And so here's, here's what happens, verse 1 of chapter 12. And Miriam and, and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, I thought, okay, wait a minute. So, you're telling me that racial issues are not limited to even the 20th or 21st oh. centuries? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hello? And, and so, here, Moses, right? We're going to read this in a second. Verse 2, and they, here's what Miriam and Aaron said, they're leaders in the church, they're Moses' own family, and hath the Lord indeed spoken? Only by Moses, and hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Tell your neighbor pride was in the house. Or maybe in the tent. But here's here's where meekness comes in. I believe that Moses was humble because verse 3 tells us this. Here's what God says. Now Moses was was very meek, very humble above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. Now, there's a lot of conversation, I'm not going to get deep into it this morning, writers, because Moses wrote the book of Numbers, it would be counterintuitive of Moses to write that he was the most humble man on earth, okay? So many commentators feel like that was added in, okay? it is like, oh, I'm the most humble person that's ever lived, right? You, you, you got to get that, right? But here it is. It's in the word of God that he's the most humble person that's ever lived on the face of the earth. Now here, when Miriam and Aaron attack him, it's a personal attack. So it's okay. It's not hard to be meek when they're attacking what you believe or how you feel or what you think. But when it becomes personal, right? Listen, pride is in the house. And the opposite of meekness is pride, right? So humility and pride. And so if you've got this accusatory attitude, always finding fault, always got something negative to say, always picking and scratching at something, you are not meek. That's not meekness, that's actually weakness. I'm talking about your attitude now, right? And so here's what God says, right? Now if you go back and read, I want to read to you verses six through eight of Numbers chapter 12 from the New Living Translation. Don't just listen, just listen to what I'm saying. Here's what God says. Now, God says in verse 4, the the Bible says that, that God heard what Aaron and Miriam said, and God called a meeting in front of the tabernacle. He said, Get out here, I got something to say. So they all come out there. So there's Moses and Aaron and Miriam standing right before the tabernacle, and God said, This, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions, I would speak to them in dreams. But not with my servant Moses of all the house; he is the one that I trust. God says, "I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in in riddles." He sees the Lord as He is. So, why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? I read that a couple times, and I said, "I don't want to have that conversation with the Lord." I remember being in the Navy, uh, and, and I did something wrong. And I remember this Master Chief called me in. Imagine that, right? And, and, the, you know, and, and he was an E9, I was an E4. I was a third-class petty officer. He was a Master Chief. And he said, he walks into the room, and it's just me and him in the room, and he says, Petty Officer Roberts? And I said, yeah, Master Chief, how can I help you? He said, we're going to have a conversation. Master Chief to third class. I will talk, and you will listen. All I need from you at this point is a nod of your head that you understand. I gave him one of those. And he proceeded to put words together that I didn't know fit. Expletives, compound expletives. um, It it, 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 it was pretty impressive vernacular that I could not and would not repeat. He told me something, something about myself. Moses is standing there in the front of the tent And Aaron and and Miriam are standing there, and God says, we're going to have a conversation. God to humanity, you can listen, and I will talk. we got to understand something. Humility is not something that you order off of the menu at a restaurant right? It's a life quality that you possess. And it's impossible, right? It's impossible for you to be the kind of person that God wants you to be, to have a meek, humble spirit and attitude if you don't have a poor spirit and if you're not mournful over your own sinful condition. I find this very difficult because as we continue in our walk with God, it's easy for pride to slip in. Well, it's been X number of years since I took a drink of alcohol. It's been X number of years since I smoked a cigarette. I don't do this and I don't do this. And if we're not careful, that little spirit just comes in. And we don't recognize that no matter how minor the offense, all sin before an almighty, pure and holy God is just as bad as any other offense. We categorize it and make this offense worse than that offense, and it may well be in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God, any breakage of the law is broken law. Sin is sin. And and we've got to recognize that, that when we come into the presence of God, listen, I'm telling you, I'm talking about humility and meekness. I'm talking about people that won't lift their hands and bless God. You've got to understand who you are. If you won't worship God, it's a proud, arrogant attitude. Oh, Brother Roberts. No, no, no. I'm telling you the truth. It's because we don't see the poorness of our spiritual condition. It's because we don't understand the poverty and where. Listen, I remember where he brought me from. I know. It's been a long time since I've told my testimony. But I'm telling you, there were people in my own family and said, even God can't help you. I can stand back and say, man, look at all this, look at, look at this, look no, 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 look at what God has done. That's how, this is, this is the spirit and the attitude that we've got to approach right, life with. I know you don't agree with everything. I know you don't understand, but listen, I've got, I am the one who's in control of my attitude. And I'm never, you're never going to agree with everything that's said or done in the world. You're never going to agree with everything that's said or done in the church. Nobody's asking you to, but what the word of God requires is if you're going to grow and become the person that Jesus Christ wants you to, you've got to have a right attitude. It's so easy to sit in the cheap seats and criticize everything that's said or done. Uh, That that, that parable of the beam in the eye, right? You know, when a cat's one out, when I, you know, I got this little twig, you know, I got this big beam sticking out of my eye. It's, it's easy to understand. And Jesus said this is the foundation of being, of being a great child of God. You know, proud, boastful people are never poor in spirit. They've got, a, they've got a poor spirit. They've got a bad attitude. They don't mourn over their sin. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Now you go to Romans chapter twelve. We all understand it. Be not conformed to this world, but be renewed by the renewal. Right, all this stuff. But look at verse three. Right after all of this great promise of the word of God, he says, "For by the grace given to me in verse three, I say unto every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment." All right. So all you alcohol drinkers and marijuana smokers sober judgment here's what the new living translation says be an, be honest in the evaluation of yourselves that's difficult sometimes i'd much rather evaluate you than i would me Come on, let's be real here. I'm trying to, listen, I've been excited about teaching this this morning. You need to understand that these beatitudes, each one propels you. They're like stepping stones to get closer to God. I can never never have real, true, honest, God-given humility in my life until I'm poor. Well, what about Moses? Was he perfect? Absolutely not. He made a lot of bad decisions. He he, he killed a person. He he, he said, told God, you can't use me. I'm I'm not able. I'm not capable. Right? He wasn't perfect. There was nothing perfect about Moses. But when God says, you know what, he's the most humble. Why? Because he had this awareness because he understood there was sin in his life. I'm sure 40 years on the backside of a desert helped, that, helped, that, helped create that spirit, that attitude in Moses. But when God needed him, this meek, humble man walked in front of Pharaoh and stood up in front of that authority and said, God said. We live in a world where, where preachers are standing up and saying, God said, and God had not said nothing. And God corrected that man and that woman and said, listen, let me tell you something. I'm not talking in, ridd- in riddles to Moses. I'm talking to him face to face. Why? Because he sees me as I am. Amen. That's what humility does. Yeah. Humility doesn't, see the, the, doesn't worship the throne of flesh, but it worships God. And so these, these first three Beatitudes deal with really how I view myself, how you view yourself. My attitude is going to be shown in my behavior. My, my, we're, we're poor in spirit what because we don't have what it takes to live, uh, to, to follow God's word on our own. We're, we mourn because our sins are many, and we become meek rather than self-willed and defiant because we don't have the ability to direct our own lives with wisdom these are the roots. These are the roots of a blessed life. These attitudes are signs of completion. They are marks of wholeness. They are earmarks of maturity. And so unless we can grasp those, we can't move forward with the other five. Number four, the fourth challenge to our attitude is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now you come to church three weeks in a row, you probably hear somebody talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But here's what hungering and thirsting for righteousness looks like. They search for righteousness that will meet their spiritual poverty. This is a definition of hungering and thirst for righteousness. It's a, it's a search for the only righteousness that can fill my sense of spiritual poverty and the only righteousness that will allow me to, to truly mourn over my sinful nature. And so the terms hunger and thirst, they suggest that this is not a half-hearted approach. Where have we heard that before, right? Right? Here's what David said in Psalms chapter 42, verses 1 and 2. He describes this hunger and thirst as the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brook. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. We, we like to read this, but when was the last time that this was your attitude, right? My, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Now, notice the last part of verse 2. He says this. He, so he's talking about hungering and thirsting. Here's an indicator of hunger and thirst in David's life. When he stops with this last part of the sentence in verse 2, he says, when shall I come and appear before God? You, you want to know what a right attitude is when it comes to hungry and searching for God. When can I meet God? When will I have an opportunity to stand before God? But in our humanity, if we don't get those first three right, if we don't have a spirit of poverty, if we don't know how to mourn, if we don't really have some some God given humility in our life, then what happens is we say, Oh, I got to go to church again. But David was like, When can I come? Oh, he was anticipating. He had that idea, right? It was exemplified. He, this, this, uh, this attitude of hunger is exemplified by a desire to be in the presence of God. Now, I told you this last week. Attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something that is almost always reflected in behavior. And so if my attitude is right, it's going to be a reflection in my behavior. And so I can watch how people come to the house of God and determine their attitude. That's, that's a basic definition taken straight out of Webster's dictionary. That attitude is that way of thinking or feeling that is reflected in behavior. And so what, what are you talking about? God is always going to quench the thirst of those that desire him as a man walking through a desert with a dry and empty can, canteen. No water, right? We understand that. And so what are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about this. There's no casual thing about this kind of thirst. There's nothing casual or laid back in God's kingdom. We should always want to give the kingdom of God our very best. I, I'm just telling you, I, almost closing in on four decades in the church now, and I'm going to tell you what my perception is. Every decade gets more and more and more casual, right? It, I, I want you to understand this. It matters how you come, Amen. it does. End of discussion, it matters how you come. Your approach, it matters, right? When you come, how you come, the attitude with which you approach God and the things of God, it, it, it matters. But here's what, here's what Peter said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so our, our world wants to just kind of lay back and be casual about everything and anything. But I'm telling you, when I came in the church, the old timers taught us, you give God your very best every single time you come. The, the football playoffs are, are going on right now. How many of you have seen any NFL playoffs? Seven of you? Some of y'all ain't telling the truth. <laughs> you don't want to admit it in the house of God. But the expectation is for those players that every time Brother Jones, that they set their foot on the field, they give 100%. They were talking about this guy last night, um, yesterday, Aaron Donald. He's, he's a great defensive lineman. And, and the, the commentator said he's potentially going to be go down in history as the greatest defensive player to ever live, to ever put you know foot in shoe leather. This guy, he's really good. And, and here's what they said. What they said about him, and, I, and I've heard this before about this particular person, is he never takes a play off. They go back and they look at the film and he it doesn't matter. From the first snap to the last snap, he doesn't take a playoff. He doesn't stand on the sideline unless he's injured. He doesn't, he doesn't swap out with somebody else. He plays 100% every single down. And I begin to think, well, you know what? This is what hungering and thirsting for righteousness is about. I recognize that I have inherently in me no righteousness. If you can bring it, then you're self-righteous. But if I got to come and get it, that's the right attitude. That's the right approach. That's the right thought process. And here's what here's you know I begin to think less. you know what when I come into the house of God, I don't want it ever to be said of me that I took a day off. I, it doesn't matter what it does not matter what you know how, how how much you can dance or how high you can jump or how fast you can run uh, the bible says jacob was leaning on his cane and worship god but what what matters was is what how he came the approach that he came and here's what we've got to understand that this is the greatest thing we have in life the church it's more important than my job It's more important than my home. It's more important than my vacation or my lifestyle or my money. Listen, David said, when can I come? When can I come and make an appearance before the throne? And that attitude has got to permeate the church. It doesn't permeate the church when we're not poor in spirit or mournful over sin or don't have an innate sense of humility. But when it does... When we get to that place, it'll change how you come to the house of God. I'm not talking about the way you dress. I'm talking about your attitude. You're leaning forward. You're hungry. You're there early. You're showing up on time. You're engaged. You brother Robert, I'm talking about how you come matters. When you come matters. My wife will tell you, I drag a dead leg in here. I hate. I hate it. I hate missing. I hate, I hate. My wife, ask her, she'll tell you. My, my. A few years ago, I ended up in the hospital on a, on a Saturday night. I took a ride in the ambulance. Hated it. But the whole time laying, they didn't even have a room for me in the emergency room. I, I uh, aspirated. Almost choked to death. My wife saved my life. And I'm laying there. They got me on this bed, stuck out in the hallway in the back of the thing. And I'm like, hey. Man, we were over at Carver, and I said, no, I, I got, I said, okay, they're running all these tests, telling me all, I said, look, I got to be out here by six o'clock, and they're like, I said, no, I'm teaching a class tomorrow, I got to get the trailer, we, no, no, and, I mean, I'm literally from midnight to 6 a.m., this nurse kept patronizing me, it's okay, it's okay, we'll be okay, no, 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 it was, Why? What are you talking about? No, this one I'm trying to lift me up. I'm trying to. It's my mindset. It's my attitude. It's, it's a hunger and a thirst. I, I can't take this for granted. This is where I belong. This is who I am. And this is what this is what David said. David said, "When can I come? When was the last time you came to the house of God with that attitude? When can I come?" Amen. Oh, come on, Pastor. Quit 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 talking. We we got to get down here. We got to get some worship going. I know we got to do all the niceties and welcome everybody and read the scripture and do, but come on, let's get some. Why? Because it's in the presence of God that things change, but it's my attitude. It's my approach. Paul said, "I, I count all this stuff, all this stuff, but lost, but for the excellency of the knowledge, it's the presence of God. When was the last time you had a hunger and a thirst? I'm not I'm not I'm not saying you know we got things we got to do and you got to get that stuff done but but some at some point you got to come in and say I'm in the presence of an almighty God. And I don't deserve to be here. I didn't earn it. It's the attitude. How do I come into the presence of God? I don't want to be casual in my approach. Uh, please, I'm, not, I'm not, not mad. I'm not mad. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to understand that there's, there's an attitude that's reflected in behavior. I don't want to become casual, complacent, disengaged, or indifferent to the things of God. You, you don't know how bad it was. You, you don't know my own family had given up on me at the ripe old age of 18. That My, my aunts literally said of me, we, you know, we figured by now that you'd either be dead or in prison. At 18, what a great catch you got here. Here's what I'm saying. Words are cheap and they require little of us, but zeal and devotion are not cheap. A casual person says Jesus is Lord, but they live life like they're the ones occupying the throne. Blessing, completeness, maturity are reflections of an attitude that is hungry, For the presence of God. My soul longeth. I'm hungry for the presence of God. It does matter how we come. Why? Because it starts back with that pouring spirit. It's a foundation. It's a step up to that one, to the next one, to the next one. Every step built upon the other. It's an attitude. Why is it that some people can't have, why is it that some people don't have a hunger, a real hunger and desire for the things of God? Why is it that some people in the church have not, they, they lose that hunger? Why? Because they've lost that first step. They're no, they're, no, they're no longer having awareness of their own sin. It's okay. God understands. No, 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 no. You need to go back and read this. You need to go back and make sure you understand what the Word of God says. It's not okay that we sin. We have an advocate. If any man confess, right? If we we confess not, we make him a liar. That has to start there. What, What happened to my hunger? What happened to my passion? It starts with a poor spirit. Not having a bad attitude, but having a right attitude about my sin and my condition and my poverty and my need of God. It, it continues with being a mournful. That, that that attitude. It's not where I'm crying and weeping, but but I've got an awareness and a, a mournful. I, Lord, I'm I'm genuinely sorry. I've got grief and pain over my sin, and that's missing from the church in 2021. It's okay, we just go down and say we're sorry and it's good, but there's no grief and there's no pain and there's no sorrow. That's what mourning is. It's loss. It's creating pain. And then we come to that place where some people, they lose that hunger because they've lost humility and they're proud and they're arrogant, not by choice, but it's just a matter of life. Well, I've been doing this for so many years and, and I, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss and I don't beat my wife. And we feel good about ourselves, and we probably should, but we come in, and, and it, it just dissuades that hunger and creates a casualness to our approach to the things of God. Jesus said, this is the attitude I want you to have, but it's not cheap, and it's not easy, and it doesn't come naturally to us because my my natural inclination is I, I, I don't, I, I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to grieve over something. I want to feel good about myself. That's my humanity. But there's got to be a place where I find that balance, where I am aware that I'm a sinner in desperate need of grace. It'll change your approach. And I, I find that place where there's genuine sorrow for my sin. I know the world you know, man, you you shake a preacher's hand, you rub the Bible, whatever you want to do, you're saved, you're good to go. It's not. It's not according to the word. And when we lose that, we begin to lose that other part. And I'm talking to good people that love God, that know God, that believe the things of God. And what happened to the hunger started back at that foundation. How do I, how do, how do I, how do I, how do I fix that? How do I start? I go back to the start. I got an awareness. It's me. It's me, oh God, in need of your grace and your mercy. It, it starts back with a thing that we know how to do, but we fail to do so often. It starts at Repentance. Not just saying I'm sorry, but turning away from that, saying God. But there's got to be a grieving in the soul. There was a crying in David. Go back and read Psalms 51. David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew within me. Why? There was something in his spirit. We read that last week that, 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 that drove him to a place of anguish. And that's what's missing from the culture in 2021, that sin no longer creates anguish and mourning in our lives. And it defeats our hunger and it defeats our thirst, and everything about the house of God becomes casual. But I want my approach to be with hunger and I want it to be genuine. Amen. Could we just lift a hand this morning? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path be sure to subscribe and watch us every sunday at 11am eastern standard time also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com so i'm going going